This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Air Force Recruiting Service says it sees warning lights flashing on its efforts to meet its 2022 recruiting goals. The biggest concern is future candidates for the Air and Space Forces. Thanks to COVID, Air Force recruiters say they have to think about new ways to reach young people. Federal News Network Scott Massioni spoke with Operations Division Chief Colonel Jason Scott and Recruiting Service Chief Major General Edward Thomas. You know, if we were a company, we would still be in the black. We would still be making a profit. But our profit margins and our available capital, you know, in, in this case, our available capital is our qualified applicants. Those numbers are trending down right now. So we're energizing the force. Uh, that note that I put out was essentially kind of the halftime motivation to go, we've got to get out there in the field and we're going to have to run that ball and we're going to have to run it hard to meet our recruiting goals this fiscal year. I realize that recruiting numbers do change sometimes during the year, but at this point, you know, do you have a certain goal that you're trying to get to, and where are you in terms of recruiting people? You know, the Air Force recruits, also the Air Force and the Space Force, the Department of the Air Force recruits about 45,000 airmen and guardians every year. That's enlisted officers, doctors, lawyers, pilots, our enlisted personnel, And we recruit them in the regular Air Force, the Air National Guard, and the Air Force Reserve. And we've met our recruiting goals for years. On the active duty side, we've met our recruiting goals since 1999. And we have met our goals for the first two quarters, and we're meeting our goals for the first two quarters of this fiscal year. But as we look at our data and our leading indicators, and our biggest leading indicator is the number of people coming and saying they're interested in in joining the Air Force. We call those our leads. And those are half of what they were this time last year. So while we're still meeting our goals, the trend lines are really in the wrong direction. And so we are working with our recruiters to energize the force, to make uh, modifications in how we're we're reaching out to future airmen and guardians, uh, to ensure that we can bring those folks in that we need to protect our nation's uh, national security. So when we look at, and, and I'm talking enlisted sessions right here, so so we're always looking at what we have, you know, those recruits that are on a job already have signed a contract, and then we're looking at uh, those recruits that have yet to sign a contract that are on our qualified and waiting list. And so those that are on contract now, like General Thomas just said, we, we have those secured all the way through uh, the second quarter this year that takes us all the way through March. And then uh, we're starting to kind of build the Q&W, the bench, so that we can book those recruits in the next quarter, which is uh, April, May, and June. Uh, so so our, our bench, our depth right now, uh, we're, we're looking at about two and a half months. So, so again, we have those on contract for the next two months. And then our qualified and waiting has taken us out about halfway through, through May. So uh, when we look at our qualified and waiting, and we look at the data and the numbers, Typically, we would like it to be somewhere around uh, 5,000 right now, 5,000 applicants or recruits waiting to sign a contract. And we're a little less than half of that. So, so it's uh, just over 2,200 right now. And how does the pandemic fit into all this? Obviously, schools are closed. Some recruiting offices were closed at times. Where were you seeing that in 2020 and 2021? And how is it affecting you now as well? <clears throat> Well, I came into this job about two years ago, a little less than two years ago, in the spring of 2020. And we were really in the heart of COVID, and I was really pleasantly surprised that we had been able to adapt and improvise and do the things we needed to do to keep recruiting on track. 
You know, the Air Force made a decision in our recruiting and training pipeline during COVID that we were going to fight through. Uh, that we weren't going to shut down recruiting. We weren't going to shut down basic training for a period of time. We were going to fight through, and we were going to work to mitigate the effects of COVID and press on. And I was pleasantly surprised that we were in a really good place. Uh, we had Our recruiters have been very innovative. We had adapted our processes so that we could enlist someone uh, via Zoom, uh, that we could do a lot of uh, virtual processing. Uh, that there's a lot of things that we were able to shift into the digital and virtual world, and we were doing well. But we're at a point now, uh, two years into this pandemic, that the aggregate effect of these two years of COVID is driving uh, downward trends in, in our pool of qualified applicants. Um, so there are several contributing factors to this. Um, a large reduction in, in public interactions. That includes things like school visits, getting our recruiters into high schools, the national labor shortage that we have right now, atrophy in recruiting skills in many of our newest recruiters. Many of our recruiters, all they have experienced is a COVID environment. And then also a longer-term trend is a, a decline in the public's connection to the military, uh, a decline in their understanding of who we are and what military service is all about. All of those factors combined with two years of COVID have really brought us to a challenging point in recruiting today. At this point, you've met your in-strength goals in, in the last two years. The Air Force has done a pretty good job of doing that over the years. A lot of that has shifted to retainment, uh, but retainment doesn't always stay there. What are your concerns that these leads, you know, if they don't end up panning out, if you don't end up getting these numbers up, what might happen to the Air Force or, or the in-strength goals? Yeah, first off, let me tell you that I I am optimistic that the Air Force will meet its recruiting goals this year. Um, but our level of concern is high, and the level of effort that it will take uh, to meet those goals will be higher than it has probably been in a dozen years. But the, the team is energized. Uh, our recruiters are energized. Again, this is like halftime, and we're going to go back out of the field, and we're going to drive the ball hard. I, I do believe we'll meet our goals, but it will only be with of effort and it will only be if we're able to do some things differently and turn the trend that is, uh, is going in the wrong direction right now. Now, let me talk about retention for a minute. <clears throat> Scott, you brought up a good point that we had record high retention rates in the Air Force during COVID, uh, particularly for that first probably year, year and a half. Uh, like a lot of people in society, I think they relate to this, COVID just wasn't a good time to, to make a change. Not a good time to make a career change, not a good time to move. Uh, and so we experience very high levels of retention in the Air Force. And so as we attrit people out of the Air Force, it's vital that the recruiting pipeline can continue to pump that lifeblood of what we call readiness, our lifeblood uh, of our ability to go out and do the nation's business and national security you know, into our ranks. Major General Edward Thomas, head of the Air Force Recruiting Service, and Colonel Jason Scott, chief of the Operations Division, speaking with Federal News Network Scott Mossione. Check out Scott's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity. 
and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe a hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do 
set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, And that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, And it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on What does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the the, probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay Black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job. And then 
Let them roll. And that's not always easy. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.